Is there something strange in your neighborhood? Don't worry, it's just another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight, the motion picture podcast crafted in the heartland by two millennial movie buffs. I'm Hunter Cates. And I'm Chris Gallagher. On today's show, we're reviewing Paul Feig's shiny reboot of a grimy classic, Ghostbusters. Then in special features, we'll discuss suffering from sequelitis. Have movie-going audiences finally gotten tired of retreads? And finally, we'll wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... Well, Midnight Warriors, the most wonderful time of the year for movie buffs and pop culture fans has come and gone, San Diego Comic-Con, and there was a lot of interesting stuff coming out of this. I wasn't really dialed into the day-to-day. How about you, Chris? No, I, I kind of popped in and out on, on Twitter. On like I, I was, I've been pretty busy, so uh, I've just caught little little tidbits. I mean, most the biggest thing that I've, I've actually seen is some of these trailers that have, have come out. Terrific. So how about today, during trailer talk, we discuss some of the biggies. Yeah. So we'll go one by one. Let's start with, I, it, I can't really say which is the biggest, biggest. So let's just start with the one that's probably the most surprising. That being, I almost, I don't want to spoil the surprise here, but spoiler alert, the Blair Witch trailer, which apparently yeah. caught everybody off guard. Yeah. So from what I understand from this, and like I said, I haven't been cover, you know, following super close, but uh, Adam Wingard, who is, you know, sort of known for making these small indie horror films, these Blumhouse style um, style films. He was presenting his new film, which I believe they were just calling The Woods. And then whenever they unveiled it, it was revealed that, oh, The Woods is actually a new Blair Witch movie. And and so I think like with this, uh, we we watched this trailer and it's it's kind of tough to say from the trailer what you know, if it's going to be, yeah, good. it's a good trailer. Is it going to be a good movie? Cause you can make a good horror trailer, but easy, it'd be a bad easy. movie. Yeah. So who knows? But I, I do just love the idea of being in the room at the time, whenever, like whenever that reveal happens where you know, in the middle of the trailer, um, it's, you know, it just seems like a, a horror movie Generic and, horror, and then yeah. someone says Blair witch. And then it's like, Oh wait, like I, it would have been, it would have been a lot of fun to be, to experience that, moment of shock and surprise well you know once again chris we just need to keep petitioning our sponsors to pay for us to go to san diego comic-con for something like that um another good trailer in my opinion was the continuation of i guess legendary's kaiju cinematic universe con Some, skull see, this is where i thought you were going to go when you said biggest like uh-huh. i think in actual size actually literally size because this is the biggest on-screen con there's ever been king yeah. con has never been this big the reason of course being is that they're going to do a king con versus godzilla in about right. 2019 and so a, a 30 foot king con is not tolerable I, for that i want i want that gorilla tested for uh i guess not gorilla growth hormones yeah he, uh yeah ggh uh-huh. i mean if they're going to test brock lesnar they should test uh king kong <laughs> but what did you think about this trailer really hard to say um i here's what i'll say i i think the cast looks good but i could have told you that just by looking at imdb i think the setting looks interesting um i i like that they're upgrading at least to uh you know the 70s it has i mean it has a very you know apocalypse now sort of feel which could help or hurt but it's a it's a cool setting to lay it in um but other than that i really don't know what about you what was your um it was uh, here's the thing is a cool trailer i i judge trailers by the goosebump effect and Mm -hmm. so this trailer did give me goosebumps but i will say this is this does overall feel like a movie that's just a movie to get to somewhere else 
And yeah, as we've already yeah. discussed, that's somewhere else is King Kong versus Godzilla. But you know what? If if it's a, an entertaining two hour thrill ride, I'm fine with that. I love King Kong. I'm happy to see him on screen again. Yeah, of course, of course you are. You love you love the big creatures. Uh, yes, I, I love the big creatures. I'm 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 a big softy for gorillas. Okay, how about we move on to someone who I'm excited to see on screen again? Um, and I, I guess this sort of segues into the one after as well. But we we got a trailer for Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman movie, mm-hmm. um, which looks. I mean, it looks pretty good. Uh, it's, it, once again, it's hard to say like there, it, it does seem like there's a little more humor, at least in this trailer than we've seen in DC movies so right. far. Um, there's a little more color, like wonder woman's outfit actually pops. It's vibrant. It actually looks red and blue, not yeah. black. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think the setting is, is kind of wonderful, you know, setting wonder woman in world war one, um, for, for her origin story or the origin story that we're going to get is, uh, pretty intriguing. What, what did you think? Um, no, I thought this was an excellent trailer. I, I was not excited by any Batman V Superman, anything, any promotion, any trailers, mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. I really dug this trailer for multiple reasons, but some of the key features beyond what you've already mentioned are, I love that they didn't beat you over the head with the feminist card. Yeah. They just said, you know, it's Wonder Woman. She's badass. Mm-hmm. Let's enjoy it. There wasn't, I was halfway expecting in a, in a, in a lesser environment, they probably would have said next summer, hashtag girl power or something like that. They didn't do that. They just, it's Wonder Woman. Well, she even, needs no introduction like even that. Even that, that stinger, like it's, it's a fun, like it's right. not, it's not a great, like it's just, it looks like, it looks like a lot of fun other than maybe Chris Pine. Chris Pine, I'm a little worried about. Yeah. He had one of the easiest in this trailer has one of the easiest lines you can imagine as far as getting a laugh out of it. And then it still fails to deliver. You, you know, what's funny about that, that moment that you're talking about. I thought he was just going to play it off as like a nonverbal sort of look and it was working and then he delivers a line and then, and it, then it he totally talks, pulls the carpet and then he talks and, and destroys it yeah but yeah no wonder woman looks really exciting i'm actually you wouldn't have thought this a couple months ago i'm feeling more optimistic about where dc is going mm-hmm. which leads us into our final trailer which was a, a surprise to everyone well and, i don't think anyone knew it was this far along which yeah, is justice definitely. league well and watching the trailer it does strike me that they sort of and it, it's not a bad way to build a trailer but they sort of stayed confined to a few scenes probably because that's you know what they've shot so far there's there's really only like three or four scenes they jump between uh but you get sort of a deeper look than you normally get in a trailer a lot of times it's a you know we're jumping here here and here and just delivering just placing the coolest lines anywhere there's a story to this trailer yeah and and that's exciting i mean we get to see batman going around recruiting people um for the justice league and you get to see, you know, more of the more of Aquaman, more of Flash, um, you know, the characters that you more of Cyborg, the characters that you just see in that, you know, dot WMV cut scene in uh, in uh, Dawn of Justice. Right. And uh, I here's the thing. Zack Snyder trailers are generally pretty good. Like the Man of Steel trailer looked amazing that. No, if that I've said this before, if that trailer were uh, eligible, it should win an Academy Award. And so that's even as like as much as you mentioned, you know, Kong Skull Island giving you the chills as much as this trailer kind of gives me the chills with the music and with the way that it's it's cut, because I do think like there's there we've reached this place where trailers are especially action trailers have gotten very lazy. And this feels like it actually pulls back sort of the 
uh, quick, you know, aggressive cutting for giving you more more chunks. And I like that. Right. And it feels like it feels like you're getting a little bit of emotional investment. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. I mean, maybe maybe his hands have been so tied by the brass. But here's you mentioned the music. Um, the music, as I'm sure you noted, had was a White Stripes song. And so I think what's happening is we haven't seen this movie. It hasn't come out. But they're seeing the tracking for Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. and they're saying maybe this is where the direction we yeah. need to take DC, not Batman v Superman, but more Suicide Squad. And, and that's an interesting comparison because those Suicide Squad trailers, they're great, mm-hmm. but they also leave me like wondering, like, what is the movie really going to be like? Mm-hmm. Because they're just, you know, they're these great visceral sort of sort of edits. So, yeah, we'll see. I will say, though, the closing of this trailer was bad. It had it had a stinky fish smell to it. Uh, well, that, yeah, that just, final. Just, just go ahead and say what it is. Yeah, yeah. it's it's Batfleck talking to, to Aquaman, and he says, "So uh, you can talk to fish," and that's the end. Like that is the conclusion of the trailer. It's, um, here, and it's not a it's not a laugh line. I don't think, or Ben Affleck just doesn't know how to play it as laugh. I don't know what's going here, on. Here's the, your one note of optimism: is just imagine if it were Chris Pine saying it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's it's it's better than that. It could, it's it could have been a that. lot worse. Well, folks, those were the trailers that stood out to Chris and myself. But we want to hear what from San Diego Comic Con stood out to you. Please let us know at hello at war starts at midnight dot com. And stick around. We're about to uh, discuss the brand new Ghostbusters movie. Is it frightening, dangerous, or utterly benign? Find out next. It will haunt you every night. Whatever it is. No one should have to encounter that kind of evil. Except you girls, I think you can handle it. Oh, oh good, thanks. We have a gift. We see what no one else is willing to see. We do things others can't do. Ghostbusters. If there's a paranormal problem, we're the ones to answer the call. Hello. the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. What do we think of these Ghostbusters? Are they to be taken seriously? You take that aisle, I'll take the far one. Okay, you sweaty freaks. I'm about to save you from this ghost. Okay, so I don't know if it was a race thing or a lady thing, but I'm mad as hell. Let's be honest. Sequels, remakes, and reboots are the cinematic cultural equivalent of a McDonald's hamburger. They're found everywhere, and audiences will cough up cash for them. Not because they're looking for something new and exciting, but because they know what they're getting before they even take the first bite. But with ubiquity comes homogeny. It's the same ketchup, same pickles, same diced onions, every time. Perhaps this is why I was so excited when it was announced that Paul Feig, the creator of TV's Freaks and Geeks, and director of comedies like Spy, Bridesmaids, and The Heat, was rebooting Ghostbusters with a lineup of top-notch female comedians. Casting Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, and Leslie Jones felt like the first step towards a brand new burger. Replace the ketchup with mustard, add a tomato, slap some sesame seeds on that bun. This was a real opportunity to create something that steps outside the safe, conventional boundaries of franchise film, while still benefiting from the audience's built-in familiarity with the pre-existing world established by its predecessors. So, Hunter, I'm curious. Does Feig's Ghostbusters rise above the crowd of pedestrian, predictable franchise films? Or would this picture be more appropriately titled Ghostbusters colon rehash? And furthermore, does Bustin still make you feel good? Chris, as so often happens, the answer to the second question can be answered by answering the first. Uh And that is 
this movie does nothing particularly wrong. There's nothing particularly wrong about this movie, but there's nothing particularly right about it either. I would say you use the word conventional. This is a very conventional film. But I'm going to say something that is extremely controversial and is probably going to get me in trouble with our listeners. The problem isn't this movie. The problem is Ghostbusters. In my opinion, Ghostbusters was truly catching lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. That movie should not have worked as well as it did, and it should not have made as much money as it did. But the fact that it did both of those things leads Hollywood executives to think it can be repeated. Whereas that was a story that worked because it was so singular to Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd's vision with a huge assist by Bill Murray's cynical nonchalance that it just happened to work brilliantly. You can't really repeat that. So let's go back to the 90s when they wanted to do Chris Farley and Chris Rock. I mean, or early 2000s, Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson, or you can do the Judd Apatow game. One way or the other, you were trying to cram a different comedic style into a very, very particular comedic vision. Yeah. So this was doomed to failure, in my opinion. Wow. We are, I don't think we've ever been this synchronized in our like feeling of the the movie because like, we've crossed I, streams you might we, say we, we did we've crossed streams and it's all for the better like no i i completely agree with you on this like as as i was thinking about it after after seeing the movie it it was only at that point where i was like oh no like this this movie just shouldn't exist like ghostbusters making making a reboot or whatever you want to call this film was just a bad idea because there's no way to, you know, Ghostbusters in what, 84 was the second highest grossing film of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a comedy. And it was only behind Eddie Murphy's uh, uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop. Thank you. Whenever Be- whenever Eddie Murphy was pretty much was immortal. On in, in triple. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's it, it, lightning in a bottle is the perfect way to explain the original Ghostbusters. It's just like you, it can't be repeated. And they proved that with making Ghostbusters. Too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I mean, I liked Ghostbusters, too, but I think that's more just little kid nostalgia. You I, know what I, I mean? I it's actually, not good. I rewatched it today and it's like it's not it's not an awful movie, but it's not Ghostbusters. It didn't it's, need to be made. It didn't need to be made. And so it, it's that thing where. I'm I'm glad they didn't make Ghostbusters three, especially when it got to the point where it was like they were all so old. You know, it's like making another Indiana Jones movie. You, mm-hmm. you just don't want it because you don't need it. It's not and, a great. And, idea. Yeah, it's it's just sad to see. Um, so I mean, my thing about overall about this new Ghostbusters movie is I think it has moments that really shine. It has um, it has things that I really like about it. But then I look at the I look at the budget of this movie. I look at what you know like that's i think that's the thing that really makes me think like does this should this movie have been made like did they make a responsible decision greenlighting it because it's ostensibly a comedy like it's not like a men in black or something where it's an action movie with comedy like at the the main thing about ghostbusters has always been the comedy that's the anchor point right and you know at what 140 some odd million dollars i think mm-hmm. um that's a big big budget for well and here's here's the thing about it is two things is one there may not be a sequel to this because comedies need to make their money in america because it's Mm -hmm. not like china sitting around waiting to see a female-led comedy you know what i mean there's just not an audience overseas for this yeah well no and and china's actually not even they're they're sort of against it because it's it's not witchcraft but you know the spiritual oogie boogie right exactly so there's so this this is a movie that needed to make its money domestically and Mm -hmm. it's and it's probably not another thing is this will this as far as opening weekend is 
the highest Paul Feig, Melissa McCarthy movie ahead of The Heat. However, mm-hmm. I imagine The Heat is actually just overall going to make more money because it has yeah. longer legs. So it makes you wonder, why did it have to be a Ghostbusters movie? It, exactly. And that's that's exactly sort of my – because the thing that I was excited about was one – um, seeing, you know, seeing Kate McKinnon added to a Paul Feig movie, seeing, uh, you know, seeing the dynamic of, of those characters come together. And it, it just feels like Ghostbusters is the wrong cocktail to make. It's a completely arbitrary, an arbitrary venue for this, this comedic sensibility. Yeah. So let's, let's get into like the movie proper, like, and, and a little bit like the, I don't know. One thing that bothered me about it, and, and this is the thing that bothers me about a lot of these sorts of reboots or sequels or, or whatever, it spends a lot of time paying homage to the older films in a way that really gets in the way, in my opinion, of treading its own track, creating its own story. You know, like, um, I mean, some of the cameos aren't too bad because most of the time it's just, you know, like Egon, a very just tasteful sort of bust in the mm-hmm. in the background, those sorts of things. But it does try to recapture moments or scenes. I mean, like the, the scene in the mayor's office, I don't understand why it needed to happen. Here's the thing about those, those moments in particular from is I, it's one of those things I don't really know what they could have done to do it better. So just, it's, it's one of those things. I feel like this movie just came at the wrong time. It's, I'm, I guess me personally, I think a lot of audiences feel this way too. I'm just over it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm over that nostalgia jolt. You think of last year, the two highest grossing movies, you know, major, major money makers were movies of this ilk, Star Wars and Jurassic World. I think after just that tidal wave of nostalgia that we got last year, this year it's more just, eh. Well, I, I do think though Ghostbusters is also, it's not exactly a cult movie, but as far as like the diehard fans, it's it's not as broad right. as well. And, and then you factor in the whole, you know, misogyny and whatnot that goes into it. And I don't know like how many people... Um, would have seen it had it been a like because I mean, that's that's the thing had it been had it been like oh well it's uh let's say Chris Pratt and uh Seth Green or Seth Green no, or Seth, Seth Green Seth, whatever yeah Seth whatever Green, yeah or yeah. bring Seth Green back you know I I probably would have been less interested in seeing it because that would have like felt to me like oh well I know what we're gonna get mm-hmm. and that's that's where I feel like this movie's really disappointing is I thought by saying well we're gonna we're gonna go with a female cast it it felt like a statement of like so we're going to like we're going to actually just do our own thing and ultimately this this movie doesn't feel like it's doing its own yeah thing. there's a it's video. playing it safe I'll, I'll see if i can find it but there's a video online about this guy talking about why he doesn't see comic book movies anymore and he was discussing this and he said that the, that what bothered him about the new female ghostbusters is just it felt like something somebody would have said in the 90s when they've run out of ideas. Let's do the Ghostbusters, but this time with women. Or mm-hmm. let's do the Ghostbusters, but this time in outer space. See, and that's, I was hoping that it wasn't a but this time situation. I was hoping it was going to be sort of a ground up, like, we have we have this cool world, so let's play in it. But it didn't really, didn't really happen. Um, um, okay, so divorced from Ghostbusters, though, just it's, let's pretend it's not a Ghostbusters movie. Did yeah. you think it was funny? What made you laugh or not laugh? Um, Kate McKinnon made me laugh. Yeah, made she me did a marvelous job, yeah. Um, and I know, like, she she's playing a weird character, so I know, like, it, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's certainly mine. Like, there there's several moments where I, especially, like, I feel like each act got a little worse for me to the point that, like, by the third act, I just, I didn't care because it's this total retread thing mm-hmm. that... Um, I, I, we're really falling into this pit of third act of 
sequels or franchise movies feels like you know so familiar from from right there needs to be a term for that and Hopefully you and I will think of that before the end of this episode. We'll, we'll put a pin in, in yeah. that and then try to come back to it. Um, what didn't work for me, uh, you know, what else worked surprisingly well? Leslie Jones. I felt like Leslie Jones was a probably the biggest question mark for me because just because I've seen her on SNL, I don't really like her that much on is SNL. Is that a commentary on her height? What? <laughs> biggest question mark. Is that a commentary on her height? No. Um, it's But on SNL, she basically, they write her as one character all the time, which is just like loud, angry black woman. Mm-hmm. And so I was curious to see what they did with her here. And, you know, Paul Feig, he, he does female characters well. And he, and, um, I, I think she really is given a lot more room in this and, uh, kind of proves that she can do, she has range, she has more range than she's been given elsewhere. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed her. I, Melissa McCarthy, I enjoyed just from the mere fact that she's sort of a female Zach Galifianakis for me and she's not doing her like over the top thing. Um, what doesn't work for me is Chris Hemsworth. I think that character is, it's my least favorite part of the entire movie. Yeah, well, we'll, we could talk, we're going to talk more about that or try to here in a second. My issue with this movie is my issue with most contemporary American comedy. We talked about this with Trainwreck. I feel like the comedy anymore is just completely divorced from the story. Mm -hmm. For instance, the, one of the funniest and longest going gags in this movie was the Chinese soup that had either too much broth or too much wonton. It was funny, but it was irrelevant to the story. Well, and it, 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 it feels like, I don't, I mean, I assume that was in the script, but it feels like one of those improv callback things mm-hmm. that's just so loose that it does, it gets in the way of the, the comedy and the story in a way that just, it, it feels like you're sort of like running out of breath, trying right. to wiggle your that, way and through. And so that, that gag, that running gag, and the Chris Hemsworth character, for that matter, those could have been in any movie. Yeah. Whereas the comedy from the original Ghostbusters and then the comedy from the great comedies of cinema, the comedy springs naturally from the plot and the characters, whereas these both felt like just arbitrary gags. Characters being a, a very operative point there, I think. I think McKinnon's character, she she's goofy enough that like her stuff feels like it fits with her. Mm-hmm. A lot of the other stuff though, you're right. It's interchangeable in a way that like, whereas, you know, Egon Spangler has lines um, in the Ghostbusters movies where it's just like, it's perfect. Only Egon Spangler as a character could deliver them because it's so specific to who he is. Um, same thing with Bill Murray. There's a ton of, you know, yes, it's true. This man is dickless. Like those sorts of things that really you have to have that come from Peter Venkman. Right. And I collect spoles, moors, and fungus, which is actually, uh, I was Egon Spangler. I was trying to think of it whenever you're saying Egon Spangler, trying to remember that. But yeah, only Harold Ramis' Egon Spangler could yeah, say that. Yeah, exactly. And there's not a whole lot of that going on here. And with Kate McKinnon, I mean, part of it is just like, she's so sort of... No, she's she does a terrific job. I mean, even her movements, everyone else is just walking. They're just, uh-huh. you know, they're walking around, going into the scene, saying their lines, getting out of there. She moves like whoever this character well, is she's adopting. And even when she's not the like focus of the scene, which I mean, I guess you could say she's stealing scenes a little bit, but it's like at least it's something to like sort of pay attention to mm-hmm. in a movie that otherwise it plays stuff pretty safe across yeah, the board. Pretty close to the chest. Yeah. Um, okay. So you mentioned a second ago, let's spend some more time on this. Uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Um, my issue with it, and I think you'll agree, my issue with him is the idea of kind of just a ditz. That could be really funny. Mm-hmm. And I've known people like this Chris Hemsworth character. The problem is, is they made him too stupid. They made yeah. him unbelievably stupid. Yeah. And and to the point where it's just you, you automatically you're like, oh, no, I get it. OK, cool. Whatever. You know, like it's it's not uh, it, it 
there's, there's nothing surprising about it. There's nothing that, um, or that's not like a, there's nothing that subverts it ever either. You know, like one of the best parts of some of the view askew films is when silent Bob finally goes into soliloquy. Mm -hmm. There's no moment where it's like, Oh, but he does have, he does have something hidden back there. It's just like, Oh, look at how pretty and dumb and stupid he is. And I think that's a really, that's a really unfortunate thing because a, I was really interested to see what Hemsworth could do. I still, and I still think, he hasn't shown us really comedic chops, but I, th- I think he might have it in him. I think he's got an abundance of talent, but I just, we've discussed this in previous episodes. I'm just not sure it's going to happen for him. And this is clearly another and, place and, where it's not. And maybe not, but it's like, I feel like that character, you give that character to anyone and it's going to be, there's only funny. so much you can do with, with that. Right. Uh, well, I think you and I discussed that you and I discussed this earlier is they tried to make this character so stupid that it could be funny on the script as opposed to just making him kind of stupid and then mm-hmm. trusting the actor to deliver. Yeah. And and that would have been and, and that would have been interesting to see where, you know, what he would have what he would have done with it, where he would have taken it. But some of the stuff like, I mean, the the glasses without uh, without lenses, really dumb. You, the, the holding his eyes when he hears loud noises, the, uh, not funny, dumb, just dumb, dumb. Yeah. You know what a fish tank is? Yeah. It's a submarine for fish. Like it just, it, no one, no one, no one could live and be that stupid. Yeah. These, these seem like just rejected lines. Like somebody picked up a, an old first draft of baby geniuses and they're like, Oh, there's some gold here that we can feed him. Yeah. It just arbitrary. Okay. You said something that speaking of arbitrary, you said something that kind of got my brain going on a tangent. You said view askew. Let's play a little game about this. (laughs) this Yeah. Let's, let's play a little game of what if Ghostbusters was made by somebody else Mm -hmm. or a different school of comedy? Would it have worked? better do you think a kevin smith universe kind of thing would have worked for ghostbusters what do you mean exactly like kevin smith's sensibilities his comic style and then his casting like ben affleck and matt damon or something uh, i don't know i i mean maybe from a i i do like when kevin smith like brings up his like you know what i would do with the franchise and it's typically it typically is something where it's like take what exists and then twist it into something else so that that could maybe be interesting. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't give him more than 60, 70 million. <laughs> yeah, I would give him basically what's in uh, the CEO's pocket. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's all I would spend on it. Um, okay, what about Sam Raimi? Because hmm. I was thinking, you said Vioskew, and then for whatever reason, I thought Sam Raimi, and I thought, oh, wow, that maybe could work. It, it could work. I would have to see a cast list, mm-hmm. honestly. I mean, and that's, and that's the real thing. Like, I think this cast had potential, but... Uh, it, just for whatever reason. I mean, partially, I think partially it could be Feig working in PG 13 as well. Um, you know, everything he's done up until now has been a pretty hard R. And so the jokes feel safe because they have to be safe right. because it's a, a family movie. So I, you know, I wonder if also Feig was the wrong person from that perspective as well. And like, he's, he's not a guy who can bring you versus Raimi. Raimi still knows comedy that's, that's reined in a little bit. Right. Do you, okay. I, so Kevin Smith and Sam Raimi, do you have anyone else who you'd just be intrigued to see what, cause again, it's been years and years that this, you know, new Ghostbusters at, been at, development. At this, at this point, I'm fine with Ghostbusters being put to bed. No, absolutely. I, I agree. Mean, I, 
uh, what I, that ghost, what that ghost state did, yes. so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my yeah, my big issue with this movie is once again. I mean, there's nothing particularly right or wrong about it, but it just seems like this is what we waited what 17, 27 years for. Mm-hmm. In where I mean, where are we waiting twenty seven years for it? Though, well, or? actually, the, the I'll tell you who looks the best coming out of this truly is Bill Murray, and I say that because back in ninety seven, ninety eight, whenever I was a kid, I was like, what? I found out that Bill Murray wouldn't do this, uh-huh. do a third Ghostbusters unless he came back as a ghost, and he was the yeah. he was the fly in the ointment so to speak everyone else wanted to do it except for him i was like what's wrong with you bill murray come on it's ghostbusters do it but he's yeah. right yeah he was no absolutely. absolutely right he was absolutely right and and i think he probably saw the writing on the wall after two where it was like it wasn't a bad movie but it's diminishing returns it's just what do you where do you go from there yeah exactly ghostbusters love ghostbusters they're just let ghostbusters be ghostbusters you don't need to keep rehashing remaking sequelizing rebooting etc just let it be yeah do you want to get into any any sort of spoilers about the end or are we Um I mean yeah sure why not Okay let's spoil the end folks I felt the end was a huge, huge disappointment just because like once it becomes a thing where you're like, it's basically it's instead of stay puff marshmallow man, it's soft serve ice cream guy, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, it, it just feels so, so cheap. So like it, it, it feels like they're trying to pander to an audience, but I don't know if that's what the audience really wants sort of a thing. Well, and what's funny about that entire sequence is it was far and away the most expensive part of the movie, but yeah. it was likewise the laziest. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know, I, you know how much like scale and action bugs the crap out of me. Scale here was off the chart. Bonkers. Couldn't like, couldn't keep up. Couldn't care because mm-hmm. it was just too big on, on every, you know, there's too many ghosts. The ice cream soft serve turd guy is, is far too large. Um, and, and then you have like, you know, you bring Slimer in for a cameo, which is essentially just like, he's like the Mucinex, uh, cartoon guy. That's right. Actually, yeah, you're right. That's what he looked like. Yeah. Um, and, and they, they sort of, I mean, it's just, it feels so lazy instead of, you know, instead of crossing the streams, they're like, Oh, let's, let's zap the, uh, zap the Ghostbusters mobile. And yeah. I would actually, I would have preferred they just redo across the streams. I, you know, that would have well, been, and, that would have been better. That's the thing is ostensibly they do. They just do it in a slightly different fashion. Mm-hmm. And it's just so dumb um yeah i by the third act i really was checking out because it just like i it had taken my my goodwill up until that point and just said well we're we're just gonna cash the check and we gave you two-thirds of a movie that that was you know all right and um see ya yeah yeah very uh i'm not gonna say disappointing because it's not i'm not gonna say that i was just going into this in a huff but at the same time I didn't anticipate liking it and, and I didn't, you know, so mm-hmm. it just was what it was. I, I, would, I would say I was, I enjoyed it, but I wouldn't like, it's not a, it's not the type of movie that I would say, you know what, you need to go, uh, you need to go pay money to see this in a theater. Like, I think it's a perfectly fine Netflix or HBO. Watch. Yeah. If you walk into the room and it happens to be playing, watch it then. Yeah. And even then, like, I mean, having seen it, there's scenes that I would stay, stick around for a little bit. And there's several that I would just, you know, keep flipping. Spoilers are done. Spoilers are done.
her regular dad. Alright, Chris, so neither one of us are particularly enthused about this movie after the fact, but you do have a duty to provide a beer recommendation, so I'm curious, is this something that Slimer would enjoy? I don't even know what that means. I mean, Slimer enjoys basically anything. Yeah, he's entitled to so eat anything, yeah. I, I feel like if, if I was having, you know, a, a uh, dinner party, I wouldn't give this to Slimer because it would be a waste. Okay, yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a good beer. It's a beer that you, you've you said uh, you've actually had. Um, and it's it's one that I, I mentioned I'd been waiting for the right time to recommend it. This is the perfect time. It's uh, a double IPA from Prairie Artisan Ales called Phantasmagoria. So the, the tie-in's really obvious. You know, the the name of the the... Uh, you know, horror, the old horror theater. It's a good thing, thing. that you didn't, it's a good thing you didn't do this earlier. Cause this is a perfect place it, it for is, you. It is. And it was one of those where like when it, when it hit, I was like, oh yeah, of course. Like I, I wish I could say I'd been planning for it here the whole time, but it, it was a perfect sort of happy ac- accident. Um, Phantasmagoria, like I said, it's a double IPA. Um, it's, it's a pretty well-balanced beer pours a real kind of bright golden color. Um, like a, a lot lighter than um, than you typically get at an IPA has a real nice uh, real nice nose on it uh, hits you heavy with the hops but super well balanced on the back end so um, you really I mean I find that it's it's one that really rewards the uh, the sipability you can just kind of sit and and uh, sip down a little bit by bit versus you know some IPAs where it's like you just kind of want to get it over with because it's so so bitter you want to wash it all down this one you can you know sit and sit and relax and enjoy and it's a it's a double so maybe it'll take the edge off of you a little bit and uh you'll uh you'll enjoy ghostbusters a little little more than we did by the third act yeah hopefully and uh worth mentioning is this was named after a theme park ride at bells yes and and for those uh not from tulsa bells was a uh little amusement park a local amusement park that yes that unfortunately is deader than a ghost yes <laughs> well ladies and gentlemen ghostbusters is currently playing nationwide so if you've seen it please tell us what you thought at hello at war starts at midnight.com or if email isn't your thing well who are you gonna call you can ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362 that's 484-4cinema stick around folks because after the break we'll be discussing suffering from sequelitis You can fix the house, you can break the spell, or hang around and wait. Pick some apples, talk to the snakes. At the end of the street, there's an island wall. There's a wooden porch, watch your eyes and fall. As you grab a low breeze, send it out. That was the goal. Get excited, Midnight Warriors. It's etymology time. The word sequel first appeared in the early 15th century, coming from the French sequel and the Latin sequela, meaning that which follows. But while the Romans invented the word, it's probable that the Greeks invented the concept. Remember that shameless cash grab the Odyssey that followed the Iliad? Homer, seriously, how do you look at yourself in the mirror? Hunter, he's blind. And dead. Anyway, back in the modern era, sequels have come to be associated with commerce at the expense of creativity. Who needs an original story when that old rascal Captain Jack can just keep getting himself into mischief, right? 
Well, it's hard to blame studios. Following up one successful film with another is a formula that has almost always worked. Yes, audiences may get fatigued by one franchise, but there will always be another franchise to take its place. Or is there? With the exception of the indomitable Disney, whose Captain America Civil War and Finding Dory are number two and number one domestically, respectively, just about every other sequel this year has suffered. Have audiences finally tired of sequels? What does this mean for a Hollywood built on the back of tentpole releases? Could we soon be seeing dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria? Chris and I will consider these queries during Suffering from Sequelitis. Is this a temporary sickness or a mass epidemic? And what does it mean for the future of film? Chris, before we blow things completely out of proportion, what do you think accounts for the failure to launch of so many films this year? Is it a lack of enthusiasm for the movies themselves? Or is there an actual rebellion against the very idea of sequels? Um, I I guess of those two, I would probably go for a lack of enthusiasm for the movies themselves. But it's, uh, you know, I, I feel like the, this whole sequel thing, I, I would love to see like a Nicholas uh, Felton uh, like infographic laid out mm-hmm. of, of sequels and the, the proportionately, you know, their profits, their... Uh, the number of them, that sort of thing over the past, you know, two decades. Um, I, I feel like the ones that we've gotten this year just have generally not been, they've, they've been lower echelon. It's just been a bad year in general. Yeah. And, but it's also, it seems like for uh, probably since the, the whole superhero thing um, came up, it's, it's been sort of the cash cow that people have been uh, looking towards as well. Right. This year, up until, up until, this weekend and i'll explain why but up until this weekend i probably would have disagreed and i said no it's an act of rebellion against the very idea of sequels themselves it feels this year has felt a little bit like the late 90s post batman and robin and all of those whenever it's just like okay Mm -hmm. you guys have got nothing left get me with something new pre-spider-man pre-lord of the rings wherever people started getting excited about franchises Mm -hmm. again Mm -hmm. however having seen and getting excited about the Wonder Woman trailer, the Justice League trailer, King Kong, etc. I I am personally more enthused, and I feel like the response has been enthusiastic, which we haven't seen with these others. So I actually agree with you. I don't quite think that movie-going audiences are saying, no, we're done with sequels, to hell with them. I think it's more just an issue of they they didn't want to the, – the movies, they sequels they didn't want to see all happen to come out this year. Well, and I think it's a matter of studios saying, oh, sequels are the thing. And hopefully this, you know, might be a, a warning sign that maybe sequel isn't the answer to everything. It's you, you got to put a little more creativity into it than that. And I mean, so I, I was thinking about this in preparation for this discussion. And something else that, that I thought about is it's not even necessarily I mean, sequel might even be the wrong term to be discussing here because it's it's really franchises. Right. I mean, because. Another thing is the YA adaptations, which are abundant, you know, after and I think probably Harry Potter started that long ago um, and, and you know, sort of took a something that was just a very beloved book series and made films that were, I would say, exponentially better made as they as they went along for the most part, mm-hmm. um, which then made it seem like, oh, well, you can make a ton of movies out of out of pre-existing properties. Just just adapt it, put it on screen, plop it on screen, and it'll be good. And we're we're also beginning to see, you know, like I think it was the Divergent yes, movie Divergent, earlier this yeah. year did horrible. Um we we've had a few of these come up now that are um I think wasn't there a Maze Runner 
that that was sort of I don't, yeah I mean well, I believe I, yeah I can, yeah I'm, yeah probably, Pro- probably. I can't even remember yeah we'll go with that <laughs> uh, but I I think that's you know another aspect of it. it's just this it's sort of this uh, inability for studios to do anything that doesn't already exist in some form like they're they they want to play it so safe that they're actually hurting themselves in some way exactly and you know you can you got to give them credit or not you don't have to give them credit you got to give them you know the benefit of the doubt I understand you've got to take care of a lot of jobs and a lot of keep mm-hmm. a lot of stockholders happy. And so if Ghostbusters made money, even if it made money 30 years ago, but if Ghostbusters made money and you think that you can still get blood out of that stone, mm-hmm. then you're going to try to do that. But as we've seen, it doesn't really work that way, at least not this year. Well, and it makes me wonder about, you know, we talked about earlier in the year, Warner Brothers had announced that they were basically going to tighten their belts and focus on just franchises and then a few directors Mm-hmm. Making their own whatever, you know, Ben Affleck, Clint Eastwood, people generally directors who can make uh, mid budget films, mm-hmm. which you don't see a lot of anymore. Um, I, you know, I wonder if as this year goes on, they're sort of beginning to sweat uh, that decision a little bit because it seemed like the franchises were like built in cash cow and it, it hasn't been so. Well, it's one so of those. Far. Yeah, exactly. Built in cash cow. But I think not just Warner Brothers, but the, the system in general, Hollywood in general, really got a punch in the nose after how poorly Batman v Superman did in the whole grand scheme of things. It made yeah. money, but this was supposed to be Avengers. You know what I mean? This was supposed to be much bigger. Yeah, I mean, they, they put so much money just into promotion for, for that movie, you know, just, just pounding it in everywhere that like, even if, you know, that movie getting in black on production isn't going to get in black Overall, exactly, you know. and so I think if Justice League and Wonder Woman do poorly, then we might be seeing signs of open rebellion. If Marvel's movies start doing poorly, then we're gonna. I think that'll be a situation where we can step back and say, "No, wait a minute, audiences are legitimately tired of mm-hmm. sequels." I don't think we're there yet. It, it, you know, it's hard to say because maybe we're just at the opening stages of something much bigger, or maybe it's just a bad year. Maybe you just have Independence Day two, which nobody wanted to see. In Ghostbusters reboot, which nobody wanted to see coming out. I mean, some people wanted to see it, but it wasn't a it wasn't a smash. Not, hit. Yeah, exactly. Not a not a cavalcade. Yeah. Um, so I have a question for you. Aside from studios, do you can you think point to anything that you think might be you know the the source of where we've ended up with all of these sequels being the the thing that we're getting. Um, this year, this batch just seems particularly regurgitated, mm-hmm. and we said that about uh, Ghostbusters. Does it seem very conventional? Independence Day 2, that was, I mean, we don't even have to go over that again. That was just a a train wreck. So it just seems like they're, this year really seems like they're just trying to make money. It doesn't seem like they're trying to have a good time around Star Wars or have a good time around Jurassic World. They're just trying to make money. Let me ask this. I guess, do you think we're in a place where, as far as the proliferation of sequels goes, do you think we're any higher or lower or from, from no, future? No, no, I think no, it's, it's pretty even. Keel. No, I think it's pretty even keel. They just haven't done well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Only a few have done well, but we've get, I can't really think of a summer where it hasn't been inundated with sequels and reboots and remakes. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe I, I don't know the, the, the Batman V Superman is the one that really like kind of boggles my mind a little bit, except for the fact that man of steel did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and with it being a man of steel, uh, sequel. I mean, it, I don't know. It, it is odd. It feels, it feels weird. And I wonder if, uh, you know, we're, we're reaching the point where we're realizing what the limits of a franchise are, you know, where it's, um, 
sort of you can't just put anything you can't just put anything out there it's got to be it's got to be the best of the best the biggest of the big mm-hmm. to justify the budget that they're putting into these things because that's that's another thing when it's when it's connected to a pre-existing property the budget typically goes up higher right. because they say oh well there's a built-in audience so the the floor is higher already yeah i uh i don't make my living in the film industry so and it, and it kind of makes me nervous so i can only imagine people who work in the film industry how they must feel but it does make me wonder absent sequels because it's not like original works doing great amount of money like jupiter ascending that was an original <laughs> sci-fi <laughs> that may be an extreme example but by and large original mm-hmm. material isn't doing that i is, mean is enough to build a studio on so it makes me wonder, I mean, what, what alternative is there? Did they just go back to just making small movies like back in the seventies? Is that even possible? I don't know. I mean, I, it, this sort of feels like moving in the direction of, you know, the whole Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, uh, prophecy that, you know, Hollywood is going to implode mm-hmm. if, if nothing else changes. Like, uh, it, I mean, it does, this year does feel like, especially coming off last year, I think that's another thing. It's like the roller coaster ride of like, Everything last year was just all cheery and like, oh, look at all the money that Hollywood's mm-hmm. making. And then this year, it's sort of like a very bumpy ride. You know, the, the roller coaster is now sort of like slowly, slowly making it. We're not sure if we're going to get back to right. back to the station. Um, but but what's also worth pointing out is before last year, the year before that, um, 2015 or excuse me, 2014 was one of the weakest on record mm-hmm. is that when uh lone ranger came out or was that no that that was a while ago i think that was 2013 but i mean yeah that that movie was a big disaster but 2014 was that summer was x-men days of future past and godzilla and then something Mm. else Uh Uh, there are a few other things but the biggest oh guardians of the galaxy but the biggest gross that year was american sniper Oh, so, yeah. yeah. And then the next and, year, and American does, Sniper not even coming until what, like, October? Yeah, not even, a, not even a summer movie. Yeah. And then, you know, like we talked about last year was Star Wars and Jurassic Park. So it may just mm-hmm. be a situation where this year sucks, this year's great, this year sucks, this year's great, which the problem with that would be is that there's going to be many losers and only one winner. Yeah. Well, and that's sort of how last year was a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you actually look at the numbers where you take out jurassic world and take out star wars it was it was a decent year but it wasn't like it wasn't gangbusters Mm -hmm. across the board yeah i think hollywood doesn't i mean you know have some foresight here but i don't think hollywood needs to worry unless rogue one does poorly or rogue one underperforms which i can actually it'll make money at star wars but i can see that happening it feels like there's not it, it almost like all the the enthusiasm was used up with force awakens people are looking forward to episode um excuse me eight people mm-hmm. are looking forward to episode eight but rogue one it just doesn't feel like space there's space bear yes space bear but it doesn't feel like the groundswell is quite there for rogue one yeah well I mean, so it remains to be seen yeah it remains to be seen it's uh i'm i'm looking forward to it but it's also i'm not looking forward to it the way that i was uh force awakens right and i think most people are like that but at yeah. the same time disney is needs it to mm-hmm. have that well, and I, I mean, the other thing with Force Awakens is people wouldn't saw that repeatedly. You know, mm-hmm. it was a Lion King syndrome um, sort right. of thing. I don't know if we're going to get that with, with Rogue One. It, it feels like, you know, just a smaller story in and of itself. Right. Yeah. So um, I guess we'll just, this will be, we'll see what happens. Yeah. But it, we, we might have a sequel to this sequelitis exactly. discussion. It, yeah, it'll be, we'll have a quadrilogy. <laughs> we'll create an entire franchise until we have to reboot it. It'll but, be diminishing returns for sure. Oh, almost, almost certainly. 
Well, folks, we want to know what you think. Do you think that audiences in general are just tired of sequels, or have we just had a crappy lineup this year? Let us know at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Stick around for our really rad recommendations, coming up next. I need the van, and I need the gas. I need the pages read again. And tonight, on the overpass, you'll know which bag I'm putting in. I need a big tent, I need a driving rain, I need the vampire, I need a wooden stake, I need the black All right, Hunter, it's uh, recommendation time. Once again, we've, we've reached the end. So th- I feel like there's a couple places you could go. Do you either have, do you have a Ghostbusters like knockoff? Some, some weird, like where Slimer's the main character? Or do you, or, uh, huh? I kind I kind of wish I did, but I can't think of anything <laughs> right now. At least none that's not porn. Okay. Then, oh God, <laughs> Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. Moving Ooh. on. Uh, or do you have do you, maybe a sequel that shouldn't be? It's actually, it's actually the latter, a sequel that probably should not have been made. Last episode, we talked about, um, Steven Spielberg and I, I went back and watched some of these movies. I loved them as a kid. Definitely my favorite human character. My favorite animal character is Godzilla, but my favorite human cinematic character is Indiana Jones. Uh And so I, for the first time in what, eight years watched Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And you and I have it, – it's frightening how much we've agreed this episode, so mm-hmm. this is probably wherever we stop agreeing. It's not as bad as you remember it. I, I don't know how much we disagree. Here's, here's how – because I only saw it when it was in the theater. Uh-huh. Here's where I stood on it. It is not a terrible just generic action movie that doesn't have Indiana Jones in the title. The, uh, well, actually, but, uh, you know, and I felt that way, too. I thought, wow, that was a really acceptable mummy movie. But actually, I feel <laughs> yeah. I felt like it was an acceptable Indiana Jones movie. Here's the, here's what went wrong. The ants. Okay, I won't be that. I won't be that broad. Here's some specific issues is one. You had a 60 something Harrison Ford yeah. doing 40 year old Harrison Ford stunts Two, Shia LaBeouf moving yeah. on. Yeah. Um, and then three, the him being his kid. That was very that, that unnecessary. was uh, completely unnecessary. And then the big. I think is that this movie came out about 19 years since the last Indiana Jones had this come out in 92 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think we would have hated it as much, but we are this wanting... exact same movie. Yeah. King of the Crystal Skull. I don't think we would have hated it as much. I don't know, man. But, um, but since it had the burden and the legacy of Indiana Jones on top of it, mm-hmm. it had to be a lot better than it was. It's actually not as bad as you remember it. That's, that's, okay. that's my review of this film. If you haven't seen it, like <laughs> I hadn't in eight years, go back and watch it. Even with, 60 something year old Harrison Ford doing these stunts. It's still, I mean, you still get invested in it. It's still Indiana Jones. And I think you'll probably like it more than you'll, than you felt about it in the theater. And that goes for all of you midnight warriors. I actually did a one, two punch. I know a lot of people don't like this movie, but I watched temple of doom as well. Yeah. And I don't understand the hate for Temple of Doom. That was that was always my favorite as a kid, and I still have affection for it. I, I liked it more as a kid than I think I do now. It's like uh, Temple of Doom is a great uh, uh, 007 movie, I think. Like it, it falls like it feels like a Roger Moore, James Bond film to me. Like it has it has the best and worst parts of a minus Moore. Christopher Walken and a dominatrix. Right, if, right. Only, if only it had those. But anyway, my so that would be my recommendation is. If you were like me and hadn't seen it in eight years, 
It's on Amazon Prime, or if you're one of those completists who purchased it and then haven't watched it since, uh-huh. go back and watch Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Okay. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to bring myself to do this, but... I didn't think so either, we'll, but... We'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a weekend, sort of late night, had a couple cocktails, throw it on, and we'll see, we'll see what the damage is, sort of a movie. Okay. Well, my recommendation is uh, sort of a fitting if if you were left, if you were actually going into Ghostbusters hoping for sort of an exciting feminist movie in, in ways, I've got a feminist Western from the 50s that I think you should check out. Hmm, sounds obscure. <laughs> okay, well, this is, uh, this is a movie directed by Anthony Mann, who's sort of known for his... Um, anti-hero Western is probably the wrong, but it's, you know, he kind of moved the Western genre away from the white hat, black hat sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's, that's one of his, uh, his well-known, he did several movies with, uh, uh, with Jimmy Stewart, Winchester 73, probably being, um, I believe the The most famous, the most famous. Um, but this movie's called the Furies. It comes from 1950. It's, it's out on criterion DVD, which, uh, I think is kind of a shame because this is a movie that, I think really deserves a Criterion Blu-ray restoration sort of it's maybe like I, I said this on Twitter after watching it, maybe the most beautiful black and white Western I've ever seen. It's, it's gorgeous. Um, and I mean, which is to be expected coming from Anthony Mann, it stars uh, Walter Houston and Barbara Stanwyck as Walter Houston is this uh, sort of cattle baron out in New Mexico. He owns a ton of land, the land, the property is known as, the Furies. And if you want to play a drinking game while watching this movie, take a drink every time someone says the Furies. Uh, well, the, is this a good idea or a bad idea to do this? I, it depends. Probably probably a bad idea the first time around because it is, it, it's leg- just a fantastic movie. It's a great like, if you've had like every once in a while, I, I get this inkling for a Western. It's just like I haven't seen one in a while. Mm-hmm. It's like I gotta, I gotta watch this. This will really satisfy and you. And so you want to be of sound mind and judgment yeah, when you're yeah, watching it. I think so. And but uh, so it's it's Walter Houston, Barbara Stanwyck. Walter Houston is this sort of aging um, cattle baron, and uh, it's the struggle between him and uh, his daughter, played by Barbara Stanwyck, who's sort of this very uh, this very strong female uh, character who she doesn't take, she basically, she doesn't take shit from anyone. And um, they sort of get into this, this family feud that ends in them on opposite sides of each other and uh, sort of struggling for um, struggling for the property. And uh, I, I don't want to give away more than that. Cause it's, it's sort of, it's the tight, ty- you know, Ghostbusters I said is a movie that each act gets worse I would say this movie, each act gets better. Like it starts pretty good, but still it has a little bit of that, um, you know, older old school filmmaking feel to it that you got to like settle into. And then in the second act, it like sort of ratchets everything up and gets really starts chugging along. And then by the third, it's just like full steam ahead, brilliant, beautiful uh, Western. That's uh, I think way ahead of its time. Really beautiful. Uh, a little hard to get a hold of. I think, like, if you still have discs on Netflix, I think you can rent it that way. I'd say check your library. There's also, I found somebody had uploaded it to YouTube. I don't know how much <laughs> longer it's going to be uh, up there, but if you can, uh, I'll, I'll put the link, I guess. Is, in it, the show a, notes. is it like a scratchy version or is it like, I mean, right? it's, it's SD, but like I said, the only thing, of, I haven't been able to find anything, you know, available for rent or even like a, 
uh, a European Blu-ray or anything. As far as I know, the DVD is the highest quality there is right now, hmm. uh, which is a bit of a shame. But I mean, or I guess there's the Criterion sale going on at uh, Barnes and Noble right now. You could maybe pick it up for half off. But uh, that's that's the Furies. Look for it at your library. Check the YouTube link if it's still uh, still active. Uh, definitely worth a watch. Interesting. And so what you this is tangential to what you just said whenever you said ghostbusters we were talking about ghostbusters how it kept on getting worse i thought you were talking about the original for a second oh. and so that bothers <laughs> me when people regurgitate titles uh-huh. but and so i was trying to think what could be a different title but it would have been something like the ghostbusters because that's the oh, other so you didn't stay for the credits they actually had like at the the end they show the title and it says ghostbusters underline answer the call is I don't know if that was the it was sort of like at the end of John Carter it's then John Carter John Carter of Mars so maybe maybe we should just start calling this one Ghostbusters let's Answer not let's just stop talking about this movie we're done <laughs> right. enough of this movie well that's a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight please check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes and more you can say hi to Hunter on Facebook or catcall Chris on Twitter and Instagram at WSAMPod And if you enjoy the show, rate or subscribe to it on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior clan. It'll make you feel awesome. On the other hand, if you're just the trolling type who simply hate listening through these credits, go ahead and tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. And I will say this, if you happen to be a ghost... Send us some white noise over the phone of of how you feel about this. I'd be really curious to hear how the undead are reacting to our show. Our brand spanking new spoiler alert theme song is by The Taylor Machine. Check them out at facebook.com slash The Taylor Machine. And shout out to the now defunct but still fantastic band Cheyenne for the music on this week's show. You can find all of their albums at bojennings.bandcamp.com. Join us in another fortnight as we discuss yet another sequel of sorts, David Ayer's Batman Baddies Run Amuck Picture, Suicide Squad. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time. I think I didn't mention this, but I think it's just between you and I, it's worth pointing out. I didn't even know this was a reboot until I was in the theater. That's how bad. <laughs> See, th- I, I wasn't like, I wasn't sure. Like it was that sort of, and it, even with the, because the, uh, I, and I guess it's not, it's Ivan, it's an Ivan Reitman bust. It's not an Igor Spangler bust. Like even with that, like I felt like that was the wrong, he was the wrong one to introduce first mm-hmm. because then it's like, well, it was, was it Spangler or wasn't it? Like it gets yeah. so quick that I couldn't read, you know, if there's a plaque or whatever. And so it took a little while before realizing. It, up until Bill Murray showed up, I was thinking that. It was going, Peter Venkman was going to show up and like, they were going to discover that there was a previous Ghostbusters team or something Mm -hmm. that was buried, you know, like a conspiracy theory thing or something like that. And even up until when he got thrown out of the window, um, I thought that he was going to come into their office and reveal himself as Peter Venkman. So yeah, like I said, I had no idea. Which would have been, honestly, would have like made sense for Peter Venkman to like, because he's just a dude for making a quick buck. Mm -hmm. Like to decide, well, I'll go the other way because there's money in it. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Well, and also since they kept on playing up the idea that there's a conspiracy, like they've been hiding ghosts in the supernatural, mm-hmm. the government has, that would have made sense is that the former Ghostbusters no, I, had to absolutely. go underground. And, and it would have also followed suit with 
kind of the government cover up in the the first two. I mean, that might have made it a little bit more tolerable. But like I said, I had no idea that it was a reboot. The promotion's just so bland. Yeah, I, you know, and the I don't know. The cameos were fine. I they used them sparingly enough that they didn't super get in the way. But it was I, I don't know. Like they the fact that they do Sigourney Weaver like after like in the credits basically. Um, was like at this point, why, why are we still doing cameos? And then at that point I was just mad that we didn't get a Rick Moranis cameo. And also as much, I mean, I love Ernie Hudson, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't make sense that he should be the final cameo. And Bill Murray should I be liked, the first. I liked the reveal of it. Though. No, I, I did. But at the same time, your last cameo should be your biggest star, right? The, and the one who's been the biggest, you know, issue. It should have been Bill Murray. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that. But he was, I mean, they did make him the biggest role, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, and then, okay. So you didn't stay around for the credits, right? Or I did not know. I mean, I saw a little bit, but I was walking out. Okay. So at the very end, because they do like, they kind of do like, okay, it's post credits, but not quite post credits where you get Scorny Weaver and you get some other stuff. And then it goes into like credits and it's Chris Hemsworth, like dancing and forcing like the police officers to dance and stuff, which I'm still convinced is like just a scene they cut and decided, Oh, we'll put it in the credits. Yeah. Maybe. And maybe it was like, they were like, well, we'll put this in the credits the whole time. They, and I will say it was kind of, I did enjoy the credits cause they kind of actually made them move along with some stuff. Like it was sort of interactive with what was going on screen. So that was kind of nice. But then, so that, that gets done like the black and white credits sort of roll. And at the very end, um, they get, uh, they get a message on the, uh, little machine, the, the, EKP mm-hmm. e- um, EKP monitor. Yeah. And, uh, it's somebody saying something about Zool and that's where I was like, no, no. Yeah. Like I don't, that's star Trek wrath of Khan, uh, star Trek, uh, into darkness level bullshit. It's, it's real bad because that's like doubling down on the, like, Oh, you just want what you already know sort of thing, which just, no, yeah. I don't, I don't want, I don't want well, anything to do with it. And don't worry. It's probably not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. Like it, I looked at the, uh, I looked at box office today and it's, uh, with international, it looks like it's going to make its money back. Um, still like, uh, domestic is the majority. I think it's only like 25% or so international. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks like it's got decent legs. So we'll see. But then again, like how much promotion did they put into it? Right. Exactly. This movie should have done a lot better. Yeah. Bottom, bottom line is still going to be higher than just what the, the budget is to, uh, to make it bankable. So yeah, who knows? I, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to see. Well, and again, it's going to be so expensive. Another one. You know what I mean? If you can make this much money with just Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock, then exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like I was looking at Paul Feig's budgets and this is more than double what spy was. Spy was his most expensive at 60 million. And so this is, this is more than double that. And it outdid, like you said, outdid spy in the opening weekend, but not by, not by huge numbers. Mm-hmm. And it's still like, I'll be surprised if it is able to outgross, uh, bridesmaids. No, probably not. No, I, I, no, so, I doubt it. I mean, that's, that's the thing is like, I, I'll still go see a Feig movie, but I don't want to see a Feig action movie again. It's, no, the, the, yeah, it, it's not even really an action movie, you know, like we said, because it just got so lazy at the end. Yeah. Okay. Let's hopefully let's, there can be some way to. <laughs> yeah, I'll see if I can like cut together just a few a few bits into our own post credits.